This is a Podcast 225 production. Welcome to the Clay Young Show. And welcome to episode 156, make that 157 of the Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. Episode 156 featured our conversation with Gordy Rush. Got a lot of great reviews on that. Thank you all for listening. Gordy is a pretty deep guy. You got inside of his mind on a lot of things, not just sports. And we're back with a promised part two of a discussion on the incorporation of the city of St. George. Broderick Baggard with Together Baton Rouge will be our guest in studio for that discussion that's coming up in just a few moments. A lot has happened in Baton Rouge since last we spoke. Uh, Last week, the state attorney general released his decision, his finding, on the case of Alton Sterling and the two police officers that were involved, one particularly uh, in the shooting. And at the end of the week, the police department rendered its findings as it related to the employment of those two officers. Officers Blaine Salamone and Howie Lake. I ended up on television last week doing analysis for WAFB, the CBS affiliate here in Baton Rouge. And, you know, I've got to tell you, in 22 years of being in and around media, those two days, the day the AG's decision was given and the day of the police department's decision, those two were maybe the the two toughest days that I, I can remember experiencing. I was on the air, on literally on the air when 9-11 was taking place, when the terrorist attacks of September 11th, 2001 were taking place. I was also on the air the Friday, the Saturday, the Sunday, and on the day of the landfall of Hurricane Katrina in 2005. I ended up, I was out of radio in 2008. I was just doing what I'm doing now, running my my advertising and marketing uh, company and I ended up supporting the folks at WJBO and being on the air for that but this was so different and it's not over with I do want to have some conversations about what happened that night and get into some of the behind the scene details that I knew about some of this and the politics but I can't I can't now because it's the process isn't done playing itself out. I will say this. No one can honestly say that if they can go back and do and do this differently that they wouldn't. I don't think anyone can say that they could look at the video and just turn away like it either was no big deal or it was business as usual or that was just a blip. Now, there are all kinds of people offering all kinds of opinions on this, and everyone has their right to do so. But this issue is so complicated, and I'm talking about the, the global issue of the relationship between law enforcement and inner city communities. That it's going to have to take unemotional, 
level-headed and objective leaders to create an environment and policies and relationships that heal what's broken. Without that, not much will change. Franz, the attorney who was on the air with me, that I, and, and, and this is a surprise to a lot of people, but we only met like maybe 10 minutes, if that much. No, it couldn't have been that much. Maybe at most 10 minutes before we went on the air on Tuesday. Had never met before, which is just unbelievable because, I mean, he is a great guy. We have a ton in common. And it's amazing that we never knew each other. I truly enjoyed working with him and respect his intellect. And I think we were both agreeing that whatever your opinion in this matter, we need to do the heavy lifting to hopefully never have something like this happen again. And so, like I said, there is a ton more that I have to say on that. And I want to get through this process because there are some people that I know will come on here and talk with me about that night and what went on. But I I just have to be patient in the process. I will say that I am so proud of the people of Baton Rouge that while there was outrage and anger and disappointment in so many ways, there was no rioting. No fires. Because I don't think that that serves to help anything. And it is what I believed going into last weekend. And it is what I believe now. That that Baton Rouge is a good city. It's not a perfect city. But if you know of one somewhere, don't move there. Because chances are you'll mess it up. I know I would. Which leads us to our discussion today. When I initially spoke with Broderick about coming on to talk about St. George, it was before a lot of other things had happened. Broderick and I had only been in each other's company maybe once or twice at, at you know events, and he was there and I was there. I don't really know that we officially knew who each other was. And I wanted to get him on to talk about St. George and a few other things. And so we actually conducted this interview a couple of days ago, and we get into everything from St. George to policy to politics and what exactly is Together Baton Rouge. And he's going to tell you his full story, and we'll do that after a quick break. And don't forget, I'm going to have some details after that interview on the fifth annual Smoke Me If You Got Him fundraiser benefiting military veterans, specifically this year again, the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. Back with Broderick Baggert with Together Baton Rouge in just a moment. This is Dr. Mary Catherine Roderick, and I'm Katie Fetzer. We're the owners and co-founders of The Wellness Studio, a mental health practice with locations here in Baton Rouge and Covington. We are also your host for The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com. Our podcast is a journey into the world of mental health. On our show, we're going to discuss some of the various forms of mental health conditions. We're also going to shed light on the various ways our listeners can get a better understanding of how the mind works and why we do what we do. So subscribe today to get The Waiting Room Podcast here on podcast225.com, iTunes, and the Talk 107.3 mobile app. 
You know, this time of year, most people enjoy South Louisiana weather in the evenings, being outside. And one of the only things that could ruin that is a mosquito bite. They're painful and they're not so great for your kids. John Conroy, the founder and owner of Pestop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, can help you eliminate the problem, correct? We really can. We've, we have a couple of products. We have these handheld foggers mm-hmm. uh, that you can... Love those things. Oh, yeah, they're cool. You can put them on the patio and just hit this little remote button and there it goes go. off for a few seconds mm-hmm. and the wind kind of pushes it around. Yep. We also have a liquid that is a synthetic pyrethroid that you apply on the lawn and most important application is going to be the underside of the leaves of your shrubbery. Okay, okay. And it can last up to three months between applications. Okay, so in the Baton Rouge area, we're outside a lot. How can I buy this? Well, combined see us. Our store is located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or give us a call with questions at 273-4788. Visit the showroom, get the information at Pest Stop. This is the Clay Young Show on Podcast225.com. Back with Broderick Baggard with the Together Baton Rouge group that has been in existence now for, what, six, seven years? How long have y'all been around? More than that, 2010 we launched, so this is our eighth year. eight, eight years. Okay, so when we initially spoke about you coming on the show, we were going to talk almost exclusively about St. George, but a lot about Baton Rouge and what you're doing as well. Obviously, since then, there has been a lot that has happened in the city. Last week, as we sit and record this, we had the findings from the attorney general's office about the uh, Alton Sterling shooting. And then four days later, much to the surprise of most people around, the police chief rendered his decision on the employment status of the two officers involved in the shooting. And I want to get your individual thought on this. And I don't know that Together Baton Rouge has put out any official position on this. So both of them, if you if you don't mind. Um, we actually were meeting with the chief, uh, Chief Murphy Paul, yesterday <clears throat> uh, with about uh, 200 community leaders. I saw leaders. that. I it, saw it, that, be, yeah. Uh, really trying to determine with him and with ourselves just those questions, which is where do we go from here? I think there's two different sides of this. One is an individual act mm-hmm. um, uh, or incident, right? And uh, I think views can 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 differ. Uh, uh, I would say my personal opinion is our criminal justice system does not deal well with incidents where police shoot people under questionable circumstances. Wherever you look across the country, there is a deep and understandable inclination to trust law enforcement. And that can transfer into a very um, inadequate means of accountability when you need uh, uh, not just the decision to prosecute, but the decision to bring charges and then ultimately a, a, a unanimous or near unanimous decision. I think that's why there was just widespread expectation that they, the, 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 the criminal side and the civil rights side would end like they did, even though um, um, we had gotten a briefing from the Department of Justice and others that, that let us know that... Um, the video was going to be troubling, and it mm-hmm. was troubling. Uh, now, that's all in the category of an individual incident, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's this much broader set of questions, which mm-hmm. is the relationship between the police and the broader community, whether we have uh, uh, a, a police force that is operating at the highest level of effectiveness and efficiency. And if one thing has happened, it's been that the broader community and Together Baton Rouge in particular – 
have really dug into some deep questions about our police force and done some 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 things that typically the federal government has done in places, you know, where they come in and do the patterns and practices investigation and take it off the hands of the locals and then uh, present analysis. And basically, it's fine, but it's an agreement between local officials and the federal government that's more or less coerced. Uh, and that's better than nothing, but also tends to be vulnerable because it'll only stick around like anything that's being pushed down your throat by the federal government uh, to the extent that the federal government keeps pushing it down your throat. Even before the Trump administration took over, it was clear there was not going to be that deep analysis conducted under uh, uh, Obama's DOJ uh, because it was such a a late in the game. Um, And nevertheless, some of the same questions around disparity of arrest patterns, around uh, use of force, around the relationships between community and police— around the underrepresentation of African-Americans and women on the force. We're still one of only two places in the state that has uh, us under a consent decree. So um, um, there's now, I think, a clear trajectory of reform that will strengthen our department, that includes higher salaries for police officers, and sure. it's the one place where we stand hand-in-hand with the, with the police union. Because you have to be able to do that. That's right, that's right. Yeah. And then I think what we're also saying, and this is where there'll be tension— uh, is is do we just do salary increases for the officers, or do we put that together with a reform package that uh, can have broader support? I, I I don't think just salary increases in this context that don't include some of the other reform elements is going to uh, have enough support. I don't think reform elements invite- without salary increases yeah. are going to have a, a have support. If you put them together, I think you've got a package that's going to go somewhere. But doesn't that introduce politics into this? Because and. When you talk about pay raise, one of the things that people have talked about is getting the best and the brightest, right? And we have a lot of young people with college degrees who want to go into law enforcement. And comparatively speaking, a kid coming out of school with a bachelor's degree or in many cases a master's in criminal justice, when they look at the police department and they see that salary, I mean, it, it pushes them to go someplace else because you've got student loans and everything going on. So being able to pay an officer who comes into the department more gives you a bigger pool from which to fish. Uh, and, and so I agree with you there. When you talk about the reforms and being able to update policy and, and having this worthwhile conversation about what we want to be, my question is always to the people involved on both sides is, okay, how do we accomplish this with as little politics as possible? Because you know, that's when stalemates start when the politics is so palpable that nobody wants to talk for fear of whatever blowback they're going to get from either side. Well, I mean, but everything's politics, um, and there are two different kinds of it. There's the the, the tactical partisan game, mm-hmm. which, which sort of bores and irritates us at every level, uh, and I think it's gotten uh, so comical at the national level um, uh, that— it's been uh, that way, though. That's oh, it has been. That's absolutely right. And 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 twenty um, plus years of it. And 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 that game is defined entirely by a kind of winner takes all approach, where your goal as a party is to so denigrate the other party that you maximize your that's chances right. of having greater representation next time. Both around, sides right? do it, and it's disgusting. But it's been around forever. Yeah, Social media right. just put it on steroids. Hey, and and I mean, you know, the founding fathers were no. Cupcakes, right? No, I mean, there was some no. nasty, nasty in the partisan fights then. So, yeah. so I, I don't even, I don't even think 
the appropriate thing is to is to bemoan or condemn it. It's a reality. Mm-hmm. What I think is a shame is that we let that that partisan political fight for power, mm-hmm. which is zero sum, so penetrate and influence this this broader sphere of politics, which is our democratic inheritance. Right now, that's right. much more practical, much more subject to compromise. Um, and I think in that broader sense, this question of what needs to happen in the police force is in the in the realm of politics. I also, we've not found it to be the case that on the level of citizens, this is totally polarized and incapable of compromise. We find that there's broad agreement on uh, some, some different areas. Now, uh, very practically, if it comes down to millage, I don't think a salary increase is going to pass uh, the, by popular vote unless it has some reform elements. Because just to be pretty blunt about it, I mean, it's African-American neighborhoods that support any tax increase overwhelmingly, okay? Um, and uh, uh, the, the constituency of people who will support a tax increase uh, for, for, for cops, if you take out African-American voters, is not going to be enough to pass it. Um, so I think there's a real practical element to this. Now, this is all getting way ahead of ourselves. Sure. I don't know if there's going to be a millage or anything sure. else. That's been what's it's been in the air a little bit. But uh, despite all that... Something that takes some achievable uh, reform elements and packages it with salary increases. By the way, we've already started, right? The use of force changes that Mayor Broom made in the first term is one of the accomplishments of her administration that she can take out of the first term. Those have been implemented in policy. They're starting to change training around them. They were kind of downplayed uh, by the previous chief for reasons that I think I understand. But they are pretty dramatic changes that take us from about the bottom 10 percent uh, of, of uh, the strength of a use of force continuum and policy for our officers to about the top 10 percent. So that's a significant change. And we need to build from that to do some other things as well. You know, it's it, that's interesting. The the whole nature of politicizing and and police work and and everything i think it it cuts away i've often said this man i don't believe it is fair to throw some derogatory blanket over law enforcement in, in general as to say that that police uh, the law enforcement as an institution is corrupt and racist and bigoted however i also say you can't look at the inner city and some of our poorest neighbors and judge the inner city based upon the small minority of people who are causing the problems. That generalization is equally bad. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this discussion about how we can better have law enforcement in the inner city, how we can get the two communities to work together, because there is almost a symbiotic need there. The, the law enforcement community needs support in those areas, but those areas need a law enforcement community that they can trust and depend on and, and what have you. That's what I'm hoping will come out of the next year is building that bridge without throwing stones over the wall uh, on either side because it doesn't work. If, the, if it breaks, everybody loses. Am I wrong? And let me give you a, a real practical case in point of what you're describing. Um, Back starting about 15 months ago, we uh, conducted an analysis of drug usage by zip code um, and police enforcement of drug possession. The usage of illicit drugs, oh, it varies in a range from 9 to 11%, but 
it's 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 pretty even across the board whether mm-hmm. you're white, black, Hispanic, sure. rich, poor. Yeah. Uh, the, there's 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 preferences. You know, white people do a little more meth. Black people smoke a little more pot. But we're all within this range of about nine to eleven percent. Young people do more illegal drugs. Right. Uh, but by area, it it varies very little. Uh, arrest rates for simple possession, not dealing, not possession connected to a weapons charge or anything else, just use of drugs, uh, are 500% higher in low-income and African-American neighborhoods. Now, there are two things you can do with that. One is to say, well, that's because our, ra- our cops are a bunch of racists and bigots, right? Um, and uh, when we looked at the data, you almost couldn't be racist and bigoted enough to have those outcomes. Right. <laughs> it, That's it's exactly like, right. It's like, I mean, That's how exactly do, right. Uh, the, the, and so what do we think is really going on there? Well, the low-income areas mm-hmm. uh, tend to have the highest crime rates mm-hmm. and the highest calls for service. Across cultures, across America. That's right. All yeah. right. And I think we understand why. I yeah. mean, when, when, when people don't have opportunity in the job market, they tend to find it in illicit trades. That's illicit right. trades don't have the protection of... Of, of the state and city in terms of go. property rights. So they get enforced through what? Violence, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think this is all pretty well understood. Sure. So we ought to stop acting like this is behavioral and that they just need to be raised better by the mamas. You know, I mean, this is, there is surely a cultural and behavioral mm-hmm. element to everything in this world, but there are clear economic trends that have to do with crime. It's complicated. Now, what the, what, what the department said uh, when, we, when we shared this with them a year ago was, look, we got more offices in these areas because we got higher crime. Uh, that's why it's not discrimination. And we said... That makes total sense. Yeah. And we're still enforcing and putting people in jail for drug possession at a five times higher rate, a 513% higher rate. So you need to adjust that. Otherwise, you have discriminatory outcomes that are the side effects of sort of reasonable actions. Now, that's an area where uh, we're having a serious and productive conversation sure. uh, with, with the police department. And we think that, that, that there is the grounds now to have that discussion in a way that's been difficult in the past. I, and cause I think the department does want to have a better rapport and a better relationship with the inner city. I believe that about the Baton Rouge police department, but, but, and, but I will say this, I took a group, this will be the fifth time this coming Monday, a group of diverse people, uh, you know, Politician, well, uh, no, not politician. Well, Hiller's a politician, but Hiller was out there, uh, the sheriff's office, city police, ministers, business people, white, black, male, female, and we went and walked in the Brookstown area. And somebody asked me afterwards, after the first one, okay, what was your goal there? What were y'all trying to accomplish? And I said, perspective. There are people who've never seen these neighborhoods Mm -hmm. that if you showed them pictures of some of these houses or the squalor that some of these kids are in, you wouldn't think that was in Baton Rouge, but it's here. And it's all tied to so many socioeconomic things. And it's lazy to just put it on one thing and say, oh, that's what's wrong. Yeah, that's right. And and so talking about Together Baton Rouge, because there's so much I want to I want to try to get into. Why do you think your organization is so polarizing? Based upon the way the media presents it, uh, I was in an article for the Business Report about it, and you know I think whenever people have positions and an ideology and a game plan, I don't always see that as polarizing as much as someone having a, a, a particular viewpoint and moving in that direction. I think it's everyone's right, uh, but and I don't even remember what I said, but I know the question was somewhere along those lines. But but I, I think you would have to agree that 
together Baton Rouge has been considered polarizing by some. You may not agree that it is, but that is a perception out there that it's all on one side, liberal do-gooders who don't want to help anybody, they're anti-cop, they're, you've heard all the stuff, you know, Broderick. What's your response to all of that? Uh, I mean, I, is that a fair, I, is that a fair? Oh, I think, yeah. I, so I, I have, I have an analysis of it. I also want to say it is, it is, there is a bizarre quality to it if you've been to any meeting any gathering any coming together read anything we've put out there there's a there's a kind of surreal quality to it right because you you feel like you're reading about something that yeah i could imagine that um uh but usually there is some requirement that that perspectives be based in something i mean something whether it's a passing inclination or right and 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 there are times where that view of us frees itself from any obligation to back itself in a single thing we've said or done or put off. Why do I think that's going on? Because when you start to change things, there are people who benefit from the way things are. And when those people and institutions that benefit from the way things are uh, experience that change, they don't like it, they're not used to it, and they condemn and vilify the people who they see as responsible for having brought about the change. And I think there have been a couple places and times where because of the broad-based nature of, of who we are and what we do, and I think because of some deep, sophisticated analysis and work on problems that haven't even arisen as problems in some cases, we've been able to change some things that have been the way they are for a long time. And I think the people who benefit usually financially and in a very direct, narrow way, uh, don't like that. And so they go say all kinds of things about us, right? I mean, I, and I think uh, at this point, I'm, I'm more accommodated to that than I was maybe five or 10 years ago. Uh, every time that, that, that I've been a part of something that feels important, where positive change is happening, you see that manifest in some way, shape, or form. Um, so, you know, in a, in, a, in a way, I guess you could take it as, as evidence of something positive happening, it, I, I still put the invitation out. Anybody who's got that view of us, hey, just come to one meeting, come to something, take a look at what we actually do. Don't, don't, don't just take that hook, line, and sinker. What, what is the goal? If you had to elevate or pitch it to someone moving to Baton Rouge and hearing about some of the groups here, learning about the chamber, you know, the foundation, if, if someone comes across TBR on something, you, you would describe it as being what? Um, so I, I think of what we do as, as playing the role that chambers of commerce play for the business community, but doing that for the civic sector. Um, so uh, businesses have different interests. They sometimes have competing interests, uh, but they have understood for a long, long time that it's in the broader interest of the business community to uh, pool their resources, develop relationships, and have organizations that advocate for the interest of business writ large, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, now, what does that mean when you have different people who see things differently? It means that you work together and compromise and support stuff all together when you can and don't when you don't. We see that every single day in every single city or town in America uh, in, in, in what chambers do, right? Um, that we've also got, in, a different, in addition to business institutions, civic sector institutions, religious congregations, uh, civic organizations, organizations that are made up of people that, at least in one view of American history, have played as significant a role in the formation of the culture of this country as business institutions in the market, right? Um, that, that that is where we are 
taught a sort of democratic way of operating. It's where we develop a sense of self-interest that's mm-hmm. broader than just our narrow, uh, uh, selfish perspective. And it, it it's a hugely important part of what makes the broader business community succeed. Yeah. That there has to be the trust for a market economy to operate. Well, we've gotten away from the practice of having organizations that bring together civic sector institutions to do for them all the things that business organizations do, which is think hard about our interests, think hard about what we want our community to look like, what are the problems that we've got, how do you solve them, and then how do you advocate in a way that gets results? I think what we do is to create an organization of nonprofit and civic institutions, organizations that are made up of people, and then develop relationships and problem solve around that so that there is a broader advocacy voice than just the interests of business, also the interest of ordinary citizens, because there are some problems that, that have not gotten the attention that they've needed. Where does the, the doctrine of TBR come from? Who, who determines your charted path for a year, five years, 10 years, you know, that, that scope for the immediate future and then long ball, where does it come from? Well, and I think part of the doctrine is that there's not a doctrine if, if by that you mean an ideology. I mean, we, we do not, where we start is not by, a, a, by ideology. I mean, there are people who understand the world before they experience the world. They have got a, a framework of ideas that explains it to them. And whether that framework is that it's the evil corporations that are doing something or the evil government that's doing something or some other framework. It's a pre-existing framework, and you don't even need to experience reality or talk to people or figure stuff out because you already know what you think. It comes straight from your ideology. That, that kind of viewpoint is just catastrophically ineffective in the real world. Starting point is different. It's with conversation, bringing people together in small groups, asking, encouraging people to focus on not their ideology but their stories, yeah. what is happening, and then researching to get practical answers to that. Um, so basically, you have that going on on a lot of different fronts and figuring out, now, how do we uh, uh, have some continuity there? The people who make decisions for our organization are the leaders of the organizations that make us up. So our executive committee or the executives or, or, or pastors or heads of those organizations and a broader group of leadership who give leadership both to specific issues and to the organization as a whole in terms of how we prioritize something for a year. St. George, it's you know, kind of got lost in the shuffle. The, the new petition dropped a couple of weeks ago, and then, of course, everything got ramped up with the, the Alton Sterling and everything with that. And it's kind of and it still kind of is off the, the front burner with a lot of people because people are still getting through this tumultuous week that we had. Together Baton Rouge had heretofore been against, and and I assume still is, against the incorporation of the unincorporated area into a new city. And I had Drew Morrell, who is one of the attorneys advising the St. George Brain Trust on a couple of weeks ago. I don't know if you got a chance to hear that and and his position on everything. So first, officially, I know where you stand on St. George. But for people who who do not know, reiterate your position and why, if that makes sense. So I got to say, I mean, we were uh, more involved with this the the last time around. And I don't know whether it's having the distance of some time, but um, uh, the... A very different question has arisen in my mind than the ones that we were uh, deeply involved in, 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 in arguing. And that is... Tell me. What, what, what are they doing? And I don't... I know, and I, I, look, I want to check. I'm going to sound... I mean, I, I do have a position on this, and I think it comes from... 
Uh, here was our position last time. We said we share the concern about public education. Mm-hmm. We share the belief that it's citizens organizing themselves that have to answer this. It's not going to come from the top. We disagree on the pro- on the proposed solution and think it's going to do more harm than good. Um, now, there's a more basic question, which is if this is coming from predominantly the interest around schools, and I think that is where it's coming from. That's where it started, for sure. It's where it started. There was an effort two, then three years running to create a separate school district, right? which didn't have the votes to succeed right. at the time, right? right. Um, and then... It's like the the you look for your keys where the spotlight is, okay, mm-hmm. or, or or where the where the street lamp is. Um, it because it felt unattainable to get the two thirds votes in both houses of the legislature that you need to get a school district set up. Uh, somebody looked around and said, "Well, we could do a petition drive and create a city." Well, they were told that in the legislature. I mean, I forget the legislator who said, "If you're going to do this." follow the model of Baker and Central and Zachary and do this. And, and I mean, it was a part of a longer, a larger conversation than that. But that was something that was said as this was being debated. So that's become the justification. No, for, no, no, no. Wait, no. Wait, well, I'm, I'm not me, going there with that. It, I'm just it, saying. No, it was. No, but that, that is. So that Yvonne Dorsey said that yeah. in a floor debate sure. with Bodie White. Right yeah. now, the last time that somebody took something that Yvonne Dorsey said, period, never mind off the cuff in a floor debate with Bodie White as sort of stipulating the direction of entire strategy, I'm not sure. I didn't know, I didn't know that she had that kind of weight and standing. That Yvonne Dorsey in a floor debate with Bodie White could single-handedly dictate the direction of an entire community's political strategy. That was bigger than that. I think what's more likely, though, is that because this seemed attainable, and it's a hard thing when you feel like you've got people who believe in you, who believe in the cause, and they've been yeah. fighting for it. And, 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 and you feel like you're letting them down, and you go try to figure out, well, what can we do? And I think what somebody said is, well, we can do a city, right? Uh, and then they, uh, for understandable reasons, said, well, we were told if we get a city, then we get... There was no telling of... of the, nobody communicated, you will get a school district if you have a city. Getting a city doesn't take the effort one step closer. In fact, I think it's much less likely. I mean, if 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 I were advising the strategy, I would have said, you want your school district? Quietly work on your two-thirds. You haven't had it, fine. Where can you pick up your votes? Who do you know in those districts? Go build the constituency you need to get your two-thirds. Now, that's not, I, I don't support there being a new school district, but tactically and practically, that's how you get your school district. Having what's become a very large-scale divisive fight, and I don't, never mind who's right or wrong, but it certainly has been on the front page of the newspaper last time, this time, that is not attractive to some legislature out in the middle of nowhere who realizes the same thing could happen in their area, and if anything, I think they've lost ground in their two-thirds. So if you play this out, uh, and once you get to draw your own map, having all the basis of the previous petition, I think it would be just organizer malpractice for them not to have a map that they can get a district in, right? I mean, I think they're going to be able to get the signatures. I, I don't say this for sure, but they've got a time frame now that's going to make it a little more challenging. Uh, and then they have to win an election in this uh, self-selected map, which presumably will be doable, right? You do all that, and then you go back to the same place you were four years ago, which is we still don't have two-thirds. And that's when some people are going to be pretty angry because they put all the time, sweat, blood, sweat, tears, money, effort, credibility 
and all they get to do now is to pick up their own garbage. So I think the more basic question I've got is, what are they trying to do, and does the set of tactical decisions that they've made make sense in terms of their ultimate objectives, or is that driven by what seemed like was something obtainable four years ago? I could understand them getting swept up in events four years ago, but by God, to come back two years later and not take a deal, let me tell you what could have been a deal, and I don't support this either. They could have said, we want a charter district. We want full control over our schools, okay, and have them be charters that we, we can make the charters exactly the same as a public school district. We can make it to where we have to elect our representatives within a body, and, and it's inside of the framework of a district that already exists. Uh, they, they didn't pursue that. They didn't pursue any of the other options of uh, working within the system. And if they had a, a path to getting a school district, then maybe I'd disagree with it, but I'd understand it. I really, I don't understand what the objective is and why this path is being pursued. So to that end, you know, we're going to uh, see what the analysis shows about the effect it would have on the city. That's a big question financially. The city has protected itself to some degree by annexing the mall, Louisiana, and at least part of Segan Mall. And if it it's going to have a negative effect, then uh, I think we're more likely than not to, to, to weigh in again. But the threat to the schools is a lot more minimized by the fact that getting a city doesn't take them one step closer. Uh, and it's the well, thing but I don't there's not many schools campaign. out there. There's not many schools in the area anyway. And I, the, the school system's uh, three-part tax item that's going to be going up has an infrastructure aspect to it that sets aside about $45 million to build two new schools in the southern part of of the parish. And so, you know, the, the bigger discussion about the school system and, and how all of that works, I think is so necessary. Mm-hmm. I do think that the system has a right to defend itself and defend the job that it's doing. But people in the southern part of the parish who want schools out there, more schools out there, better schools, I mean, they've got the right to feel that way as well. I think for me, this discussion started really running off the, off the rails when the bombs started flying. Because at that point, I mean, you, you can't sit down and say, okay, let's have a conversation about this. There have been two rebuilt schools out in that part of the parish within the last 12 years. Woodlawn High, Woodlawn Elementary are basically brand new facilities, right? And then in the Gardier area, which is another area where I think kids are, are underserved, there's not a whole lot of school coverage over there. And that, that's an area that has become incre- a lot more Hispanic in the last decade. It's like sitting down and talking about this is important. Now, that area has been carved out. Mm-hmm. It's not a part. It was a part. A lot of that was a part of the first go around of this. It is not this time. Right. And I, I did ask Drew Morrell, okay, why is that? Why why'd you do that? He said, well, you know, these areas did not want to be a part of St. George. They you know didn't support the petition. So we cut them out. And I believe that. I mean, I, I, I think you don't need to look beyond a. Uh, the self-interest of maximizing where your support is, right? Uh, uh, to does that kind of overlay in 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 suspicious ways with race? Uh, sure, but it, it sort of would naturally, right? Because white people are going to be a lot more likely to support the petition anyway. And I don't think you need to look beyond that self-interest. Uh, it it is it makes sense 
that's why I said it would be organizer malpractice to not carve out a map in which you can win. Um, but um, it still leaves me with that question. I, here's my prediction, and, and uh, the only reason it's safe to make predictions is nobody comes and checks. But in two years, <laughs> in, in two years, if we have a city of St. George... Are you sure about that? <laughs> <laughs> well, what? I mean, you know, nobody listens to, oh, this is a podcast. No, <laughs> that's uh, right. the, um, uh, so that's right. Come back in two years and look up this podcast. And, and if there's a city of St. George, it's going to be collecting its garbage, and it's not going to be one step closer to there being a school district. Um, the, the 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 right to feel a certain way and have a certain dissatisfaction with things being inadequate doesn't mean that whatever solution somebody puts forward as addressing that actually addresses it. And I mean, that's the kind of center of conservative thought that, that I wish our conservatives uh, still believed, uh, which is just because there's a problem doesn't mean your proposed solution to the problem is better than the current status quo. And, and that's hard to say, but uh, a, 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 a status quo, I mean, a, a proposal that doesn't even begin to address the school question just because people feel dissatisfied, ultimately, it's not going to feel fair to the people who bought into it, right? Because they're going to say, now, wait a minute, where's the beef? I thought we were talking about our schools. We're not one step closer to that. Um, the It's just a lot of time to waste yeah. to not be addressing the problem, which well, and, ultimately is, is something that's going to have to be done. And anyway. one of the things, it's not going to be a new parish. It will be a part of East Baton Rouge Parish True. still, much like Baker and Zachary and Central. And, you know, the, the new information from the group says that there will be a surplus of cash. And I think people are, I think the first time this went on, lots of people stayed away because they didn't understand it. They didn't know how it would affect them in terms of property taxes and the expenses of being where they are. And I think that that was kind of a thing for a lot of people. I think there is a little bit more understanding, but still there's a lot of there's a lot of ignorance. And I don't mean that as a derogation. I mean, people don't have a full understanding of how this will affect them, because like I said to you, ultimately, everything comes back to the kitchen table. Mm -hmm. How does it affect me, my family, the whole thing? So let's say this doesn't happen, all right? It feels more likely this time for me. If I'm betting, I'd give it an 8 out of 10 shot that it's going to happen. But let's say it doesn't. The discussion doesn't go away. The arguments don't go away. So how do you mitigate some of the damage done by these two efforts to at least be able to address what's best for children in schools? And I, I don't even know if you can say confidently that there's damage done, you know? I mean... Look, people. I mean, among the adults. I, I yeah. know, but I mean, people trying to figure something out and 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 failing in different ways. Look, I think I, I just think the biggest enemy is 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 people who don't get involved in anything. Uh, and and uh, I've stopped trying to predict what is what is good or or, or bad. You know, I mean, the, the uh, people have moved on this. Mm -hmm. That has had a reaction. It's still in play. Uh, I. The, the I think the alternative or, or one alternative is people quietly slip away out of the parish and stop fighting for things. Right. Um, I'll tell you what is which does not help the parish. That's right. I think it, 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 it harms it. And the fascinating thing about Baton Rouge to me, having grown up in New Orleans, because New Orleans has uh, most of its suburban growth that's happened in every city across the country is outside of its municipal borders and mm -hmm. outside of its parish borders, right? It's a it's a city parish, but they are geographically identical. And overwhelmingly, the suburban growth has been in, in Jefferson Parish, in 
uh, Plaquemine Parish to an mm. extent, and uh, so you have that tax base problem, right? Um, what you what you what politically, you've got a, a very heavily Democratic, predominantly African American city, sure, uh, but that is is uh, uh, surrounded by white conservative areas, and a lot of the resources are in those areas. So you know, kind of growing up, what I was always taught was cities need to be able to capture their suburban growth. Baton Rouge has that to a greater extent. Now, uh, the flip side of that coin is that means you also have the political diversity. You don't have a community that is solidly one way, like uh, Ascension Parish or Jefferson Parishes are solidly the other way, like Orleans Parish is. You've got it inside of one body politic. That is often identified or interpreted as division. To me, it means that we have inside of one body politic the divisions that are existing all over our country. I agree with you. So what the well, heck is wrong with that? I, I, I mean, man, it makes it so it well makes said. it tough, but yeah. it means we're fine. Look, no. at least we deal with each other. So, so, yeah. so I think the fact that we're dealing with each other on this, where it's going to go, who knows? But that it does create the opportunity to 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 do real politics, which is dealing with people who don't agree with you. That is so well said, and because it, it first of all, not everything is about being offended. Sometimes people just view things differently, and it doesn't mean that they don't care about how you feel. They just they think differently about it. Right. And then you work to. I told somebody this morning the definition of a good compromise is when both sides happen to be pissed off. Neither side got all of what they wanted, because if if one side got everything they wanted and the other side didn't, there is you know at least if you walk away knowing, hey, neither of us are happy, right? <laughs> and that's that's the definition of compromise. But for me, getting into a room with people to say, okay, there are 50 things on this list that we have to deal with. This 20 ain't going to happen for me. That 20 ain't going to happen for you. But these 10 things we can actually work through. Let's work through these, and then let's start tackling that list of 40 things, 20 me, 20 you, that we can do. That rarely happens now. Because if two people on opposite sides of an issue get caught at a coffee shop talking, they get hammered on social media. Why are you meeting with them? Why are you talking with them? That doesn't help us fix things. Mm -hmm. Am I wrong? No, I think you're right. I also, um, you know, what, what it feels to me like the hyper-partisan attack mode is, is still the minority report when people are dealing with I each agree. other face-to-face. -face. I um, agree. I, I, think, I think it's kind of, uh, there's lots of uh, institutional interest yeah. in that uh from a media perspective, it makes it a much cleaner story. You don't have to think uh, you've got a built-in audience. I mean, I think we see that in 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 TV in particular. It's dumpster fires, man. Yeah, People just want right. eyeballs for a dumpster fire. That's you know, I mean, you, it. You, you, you you know you know what you're gonna get right. when you turn on Fox News or Rachel Maddow. And in terms of like segmentation of marketing, yeah. it's like you know what you're gonna get when you go get your 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 nails done, right? I mean, right. you're looking for an experience, yeah. and it serves that experience. Now. Um, it has penetrated the more uh, ordinary realm of people dealing with each other, but it still feels like a minority report there. You get 10 people together talking about what's going on in their neighborhood, and if there's one jackass who is, who is like, coming at it from the perspective of it's the government or it's the... He just, he looks like a jackass, right? And everybody, I think, is usually polite, but they're kind of like, okay, this guy has got... A uh, what's the expression? An, an ox to, what, uh, a, axe to grind. That's right. You can't drop a line like he was that going, and then he's screw got an up axe the metaphor. To grind. Come on, man. Uh, and and uh, and the other nine 
wait him out and then get back to the business of the people's business, right? Um, so uh, I think trying to create a vehicle yeah. whereby that spirit still predominant of figuring out where you can agree and working on that is able to affect media and decision making is one of the missions of Together Baton Rouge, one of the things we're trying to do. Um, and um, and that I see in practice every day, it doesn't make it easy, right? right. I mean, you still do disagree with people. Sure. I don't understand why people don't, aren't more... I mean, I, having been married for 11 years <laughs> now, it's like, you know, <laughs> is it that much of a surprise that, 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 that people see things differently? Hey, you know, I mean... And, uh, and if you tell me... you If you tell me that... You win on you win fifty percent of the arguments. I'm going to say you're lying. There's no way you win as much as fifty percent. I mean, the thing is, how do we both lose more than fifty percent? Is the thing that they, they um um. So I would think that people would be more accustomed to the idea of fundamental disagreements uh, and and uh, you know you know having, what I think having, it is having you know experienced the institution of marriage. But, but you but, know what I think it is. What's that? So often, I think it is more about being right than it is about being effective. I think the need to appear right versus the need to get something done is totally different. In business, some things that I believe are right and I, that I think will work, won't work, and you have to change it and admit you were wrong and mm -hmm. do it differently so that you may remain effective. And in politics, the win-loss is not about how often I get things done, it's about how often I appear right. So that I can say I was right about this and I, I was right about that. And then nothing ever really happens. Prime example, we have problems in Baton Rouge that have gone through Democratic and Republican mayors mm -hmm. that have never changed. There are places in Baton Rouge where you know it's going to flood every time there's a heavy rainstorm. It's been that way 20 years. Okay. And the discussions when they come up become more about right versus effectiveness. And that's why I get frustrated with politics as a mechanism. It's like, guys, it's not about right. It's about, okay, this particular mm -hmm. game plan will bring about the most effectiveness. And, and it's happening now. I, I want to be right. No, no, I'm the source on this. Instead of saying, it's just, yeah, you're right, but it's ineffective. Yeah, you like that product, but nobody's coming into your store buying it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I... And I I'd, I'd suggest adding this to it that part of it is about belonging and feeling like you have a group to belong to. True. Um, the the that there's a it's a tribal element to yes, politics. Yes, absolutely. Says, there's a tribal element to everything. What kind of, you know, what do I believe? Well, what do the people like me believe? Right. Uh, and I think there are, th that can be a positive thing, right? I mean, um uh, the, the When it comes the, to the, decency, it does. But in some other areas, there are multiple ways to get things that's done. That's right. And when you start having group identity that's more driven by the understandable power struggle of yeah. a, of a, of a, of a, of a two-party fight sure. and uh, it becomes totally disconnected from the real practical struggles of, mm -hmm. of, of everyday life, then I think that that quality of, you know, who's my group, then I'll tell you what I believe in. Right can lead to a real disconnect. Um, it takes uh, balls to stand out there and take a position that you believe is, is, is going to be most effective without regard to the blows you're going to take for it. And it is the truth. And it is the reason why so many smart people with great ideas 
never go out and say anything at town halls or don't go to council meetings because they don't want some douchebag putting out their address on social media. Because, you know, when you go to the council, you got to say your first and last name and where you live. And so it's again, it goes back to leaders saying, how can we how can we most bring about effectiveness? What can we do to fix it? And it's not about being right. And I'm not even gonna, I'm not even saying run to the public for kumbayas. Mm-hmm. I'm saying these are the parts of a bookshelf. How can we best put these together so that we can rest books on them? And for those of you who don't know what a bookshelf is, Google it. <laughs> so, so well, it's 2018, brother. People don't have books anymore. So that's just my take. When I hear it, I go, oh, we're about being right now. We're not talking about being effective anymore. You know, it takes it takes balls and it takes a base of people uh, around you too, because I, it's, it's, uh, I don't think any individual can sustain a being a lone wolf. Really, no. Right. I mean, and I'll Doesn't tell you, work. just in, Not the last in politics, year, but you have to do it sometimes uh, you do. And, and if you feel like there is a base, uh, there are people around the, 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 the commerce and industry board meets every two months. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're the group that, uh, and this is the only place in the entire country that allows a state board to give away local entities tax revenue. It turns out that's a really bad idea because when you do that, they give it all away. They, they don't ever not give it away because the only people they see and, and hear from are the, are the uh, entities that are getting these uh, tax exemptions. This is mostly around the industrial tax exemption, although there are a raft of others. So you go to this meeting once every two months, and what would happen for literally 80 years is in 30 minutes, this, this board of people – would in globo approve 200 tax exemptions that would cost local entities, school districts, uh, police, parish entities, libraries, parks, um, about $2 billion per mm-hmm. meeting, right? And they meet yeah. six times a year. Uh, and uh, that has been a source of real critique of ours because we think it's one of the main reasons why Louisiana, despite all its industrial wealth, stays so poor, right. is we lose one of the mechanisms for investment. And, and, and we've messed that up, okay? Now local entities have to say whether or not they support this, and that has really messed things up for folks who have benefit from, from these exemptions, mainly not the corporations, mainly the consultants who benefit from it, right? So you go to, the, you go to the, co- the, the Commerce and Industry Board, and it's a strange thing to walk into a room of 150 people and have everybody hate you. It's like you feel it like a, like a material thing, right? Um, and... Uh, and the only way you can sustain that without saying, man, I don't care if I'm right. This sucks. It, it, it sucks to have Adam Knapp hate you now, right? Because I like Adam Knapp. Adam Knapp, I knew him from 2007 when he was at the Louisiana Recovery man, you Authority. you managed to make Adam hate you? Oh, yeah. Man. A- Adam's such a good guy. And, uh, the, the, uh, and you know, for various reasons, this was kind of a, 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 a red line um, and any questioning of it. Um, the So... Uh, now, I think at the end of the day that relationships get repaired, uh, maybe not individually, but, but, but corporately, because there's less of an interest in fighting than staying together. But there has to be the independence of a base of people and institutions to allow that kind of courage to be anything but, but sort of crazy or stupid, right? Um, and, and that is, I think, one of the, the reasons why, to get back to your polarizing question, that hasn't existed in, in Louisiana much when it comes to the really big boys, right? I mean, it is, there are profound consequences to letting corporations write your corporate tax law. 
there are profound corporate repercussions for every man, woman, and child because you know what, Clay, they don't got you in mind, right? I mean, <laughs> they write tax law in their perceived interest, uh, and if you let them do that entirely and without even oversight, right, then you get tax structures that are really unfair. And I don't just mean to the little guy or the poor communities. I mean to every other man, woman, child, or business who was not in the room writing that tax law. And that there has started to be an effort that is capable of challenging that. Hey, it makes some people mad, but ultimately uh, the ability to, 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 to feel that and to say that we're going to turn the page on this and we're going to have be a healthier state after we do so has, has felt pretty good. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, I think you may be the first person in history to uh, that I know of who's pissed off Adam Knapp. <laughs> uh, all right, I'm, I'm letting as we, because I want to keep going or letting my next appointment know I'll be 10 minutes behind because I want to get to a couple of other points before um, before we wrap here. And, and the next to last one is this. People talk a whole lot about bringing Baton Rouge together. And often I think the discussion is farcical because it's almost like you think you can do something to make people agree, which I think is an exercise in futility. It is you can't make people agree. They just happen to agree on things. But what is your definition of a unified city? I believe in relationships, not unity. Mm-hmm. OK, because uh, unity implies we all think that you alike. can get everybody to it, it's 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 implausible. And, and if the only basis for uh, for r- relationships and working together and coalitions is unity of opinion, well, we're going to have extremely small coalitions. Never right? have basically going to have coalitions of one. Yep. Or coalitions that you find online somewhere, which are basically escapism. Or two fools manipulating each other, thinking That's the right. other one doesn't know it. That's right. That's right. Uh, and and it gets more and more disconnected from the real world because right. in the real world, people disagree. Right? right. So so I think. To me, the goal is not unity of opinion, it's relationships that are strong enough to be capable of sustaining disagreement and difference, mm-hmm. right? Where, yes, we disagree, but that doesn't mean we stop talking. It doesn't mean that we disagree on everything. It doesn't mean you're an enemy, right? I, the category of enemies is one that 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 I don't think is useful, uh, except maybe in extreme cases where everything breaks down. Sure. But to have that be the kind of place from which we operate as a typical standing is really destructive, right? And yeah. so I think the basis is more, where are you coming from? What yeah. are your interests? What do you want to see happen? Yeah. Where are those opportunities to work together? I think about in an early meeting with the Catholic Campaign for Human Development, um, uh, which is a you know, part of the, the National Catholic Church structure that was looking at supporting the organizing here. Uh, there was a meeting of the um, uh, with just different congregations that were a part of this, and it included the Unitarians and the Catholics, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and understandably, the Catholic Campaign for Human Development said, "Well, I mean, what do you do if uh, the Unitarians want to do something around abortion or gay marriage or things that are not a part of Catholic social teaching?" And uh, Diana Doro, who's a who's a Unitarian, said, "Look." We've looked very closely at our social teaching and the Catholic social teaching, and about 97% of it overlaps and agrees, right? Um, that we have got vehicles and institutions and places where we work on the other stuff, uh-huh. uh, but uh, uh, we're not interested uh, in trying to work together on everything. We're interested in working together where we can, which turns out to be the overwhelming 
percent uh, or, 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 or the now so i think there are times where people are going to alt disagree and there have been yep. times in our organization where we've said hey uh we're not going to take a position on right. that because to do so would so fragment the uh, right. uh statuses relationships but right. ultimately what we try to do is to have relationships strong enough to where where we disagree that doesn't mean we lose the relationships we stick together because it's in our interest long term to do so and the last question for people wondering, who holds Together Baton Rouge accountable? I think most of all it's member institutions, uh, that we're a dues-paying organization. Uh, and we're, there was actually, you said when how long we've been around, and I said 2010. It went back to 2007 yeah. when uh, the effort started. Yeah. And we, uh, it wasn't me at the time, but I mean the, 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 the leaders who got that off the ground made a specific decision to not launch anything until they had a base of independent resources from their institutions because this things either belong to you or they don't, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if there's some outside funder or if you're funded by the government or funded by uh, some business entity, then you belong to that entity whether you like it or not. Right. Uh, that, that, that our money comes from member institutions ultimately means that if we are not attentive to the interests of those institutions, and I don't just mean what issues you take on, it's more, is this a vehicle to help strengthen that institution, to help it be dynamic, to develop its leaders? If you're not doing those things, they stop putting money into it. Uh, and they, they uh, uh, that is, I think that's ultimately the force of accountability. I think we're accountable to everybody we're in relationship with, but the, the, the people who I find myself to be accountable to are the members of this organization who are the people who basically make us up and, and, and fund us. You know, at some point in the near future, in the near future being maybe by the summer when it slows down for a lot of people and people are traveling, but I'd like to have you and Adam and maybe one or two other groups here so we can talk in general about what your perceptions of where Baton Rouge ought to be and then specifically about the things that we should put on a priority list of say top five, right? And then I will take out things like the school system, which we know we're gonna say that's gonna be a top priority. Everyone's gonna agree on that. But there are things that Baton Rouge should focus on and prioritize that the public may not even know are as bad as they are. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And so I wanna have that discussion kind of in a civil way where we can say, okay, here are the things that we think that we should be focused on. And I'll give you guys a heads up notice so you can not only have your positions, but why you think so and what the solutions are and give people a chance to be educated on some of these things that don't make the A block of the news or the front page of the paper. Fair? I, th- I, I think that'd be a lot of fun. I'd be totally down for that. And to get you and Adam in a room after learning this bit of information <laughs> would be personally entertaining. I shouldn't have shared that. I shouldn't have shared that, but you know. Well, uh, I'm sure, you know, knowing Adam, if Adam is, if, you know, when you say hate and Adam nap, oh, that's really not exactly like like, uh, I, and that's probably entirely too strong. No, okay? I, well, uh, I, I they, know they, what we, you meant. I, I, we <laughs> have reached out several times to try to, let's say, keep it. Because look, they, cause there's a history there yeah. where we have worked together on stuff, have been on the same side, and then been on different sides sure. where we've 
we've decided uh, to still be in touch. And, right. you know, this feels a little different, but, but I, the hate was probably too strong. Yeah, if you got to know Adam Knapp to know that that's the mildest form of whatever that word could be, that's knowing true. him. That's but, you know, true. but listen, Broderick, I appreciate uh, you coming on the show, man. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for me on. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on the Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here, and listen, if you are trying to sell your home but you want to save money, let me tell you something. Denise Harris with Remax Preferred Choice has the answer. Denise, let's talk about that. Yes, Clay. I'm really, really excited to talk about this promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're offering a commission of 3.6%. That's mm-hmm. all you pay. Right. Instead of paying a 6% or a 5%, wow. we're offering you the same services for 3.6%. So you save money, thousands. Yes. And what else do you get? You get a full service listing. Okay. And professionals, full-time agents that are here to service you. You also get professional photos. Right. That's how people shop now. Professional photos are going to help you sell your property. So don't miss the opportunity to get this help. Contact Denise Harris and Annie McGarner right now. How can people reach you? Give us a call at 291-4440, 291-4440, or you can stop by our office at 3300 North Shore Forest Drive. We're here to service you. That's REMAX Preferred Choice. Welcome back to The Clay Young Show. Enjoyed the conversation with Broderick, and I do want to get together with some of the principals, the, the chamber, and some community leaders, and Broderick, and get them into one room and have a discussion about how do you how do you create effectiveness? How can we have more effectiveness in this city? Effectiveness meaning actually getting something done and not just always talking about it. That's one of the most frustrating things to me about the political process is that there's there's a whole lot of chatter and discussion about how much chatter we're going to have and then after the chatter is over rarely does much happen i tell you when something is going to happen may 20th at 5 p.m in ben 77 bistro in perkins row that is when the fifth annual smoke em if you got them fundraiser is going to happen it is presented by mockler beverage in association with guarantee media Ben 77 Bistro and Sidebar, Pest Stop, your do-it-yourself pest control solution, Open Eyes Safety Training and Consulting, Clay Young Enterprises, oh yeah, everybody's involved, Insurance Procurement Services, GEICO, that's right, putting on this event, benefiting military veterans, $100 will get you into the event, 100% of the money raised goes to the Chris Kyle Frog Foundation. The official rollout of the media for it is coming in days and you will be able to buy your ticket. The cigar this year will be super special and I'll have information on that. I need to have it confirmed before I say something about it, but I am hopeful here with fingers crossed on both hands. We're going to have a grill station, live music, live and silent auction. Geico is presenting a dessert station for this year's event, a dessert station out there. So you can come out, have a great time in the courtyard and meet Taya Kyle. She will be there. Uh, I'm hoping that 
the turnout will be even better than last year, and it's gotten better every year, and we raise money and we do a good thing. I was talking to somebody about the event this morning. So you'll be able to keep up with what's happening, but put it in your calendar now. Sunday, May 20th, Ben 77 Bistro in Baton Rouge and Perkins Row. Smoke them if you got them. The fifth anniversary. And with that, tell your friends about the show. We appreciate you listening, and I'll catch you on episode 158 of The Clay Young Show. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.